0: I'm excited about this topic. I wish I could take two hours, not in one setting, but I wish I had several more uh, messages to share this beautiful concept. Uh, we're talking about this changes everything. This meaning a movement from darkness to light. Moving from the darkness to light changes everything. Placing my faith in Jesus Christ for salvation changes everything because it positions me in God's marvelous light. Where am I standing today? In his marvelous light. Amen. You are standing or seated, I would say, those of you standing. We are in his marvelous light. It's not decent light. It's not okay light. It's not semi. It's a marvelous light that we stand in, in Christ Jesus. It says in 1 Peter 2.10 that uh, he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light light. If, give, if coming to Christ into the light was the best decision of your life, say, oh yeah. oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, that was like half-hearted, oh yeah. But I'm telling you, it's the best thing that we could ever do. And because it's so awesome, everybody in the world wants to get in the light, right? No. No. There's not a line uh, outside most churches of people saying, I want to get into the light." And that's that said I'd like to investigate. I'd like to investigate if the light is so amazing, if the light is so incredible, why so many people choose darkness instead. I want you to think about the people that have heard the gospel and said no. My Uncle Don is my favorite guy to talk about. I'm hoping to get to see him again before he goes to heaven. He's up in his 80s now, and he knows the gospel probably as well as anybody in the house. Uh, He knows the gospel inside and out, and yet he has chosen the darkness. He has made an intellectual, conscious decision to live in the darkness. I don't get that exactly. Exactly. But because once you taste and see that the lord is good once your eyes are opened and you're no longer blind and locked in darkness you wonder why didn't everybody do this sooner do you remember when your burden rolled away do you remember when your conscience was clean do you remember that day that you had spiritual life that surged into your being and and it was as if you were walking on clouds it was as if you had uh, had had lost a thousand pounds it was like the most delightful thing and and you wonder, why didn't I do this sooner? Why didn't I do this sooner? So there's the people that have never really understood the light at all, but there's also people like you and me that have come to the light and yet still have shadows. In fact, the only being on the planet, the only being in the universe, the only being who has no shadows is Jesus For he said, I am the light of the world. And there is no shadow in him. In James chapter 1, the Bible says that of God, there is no shadow of turning with thee. And what that, the idea is that when when, uh, light moves and hits an object, it casts a shadow. But in God, there are no foreign objects. There is no sin in God for the light to hit and create a shadow. And so here we are as people that have seen the light. If you're here today as a atheist, a Muslim, a Buddhist, a Hindu, a secularist, welcome. We're so delighted that you're here. It's a privilege for us to have the opportunity to talk with you. Our hope is that in this process, and we've prayed in this process of coming in, you'd begin to have your eyes open to the beautiful glory in Jesus. The whole other segment are people like us who've come to the light and yet we cling to these foreign objects in our lives. And I think that's equally as baffling. As baffling as it is to be in total darkness, it's baffling to be in the light and cling to the shadows. I think everybody here at some point in your life was greatly disappointed when your favorite Christian turned out to have sin. The person that you thought would never ever, they're, they're like Jesus, they're flawless, they're perfect... And then come to find out somewhere down the trail they had been uh, unfaithful to their spouse or they had been addicted to pornography or greed had taken over their lives. And, and you stand there in, in, in disappointment, actually. You st- you're, you're feeling this, this why, why can you talk about the light and have such huge shadows in your own heart? Well, I think it's because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4 that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Satan is not a concept. Satan is not an ethereal myth. Satan is a real live being. He has real substance. He, like you and I, can only be at one place at a time. He's not omnipresent. He's not God. He's a created being. And he is an active agent working to blind our minds to keep us from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Does God love you and have a wonderful plan for your life? Does Satan hate you and have a diabolical plan for your life? Absolutely. While I'm standing here preaching this message, asking God to open your eyes, the enemy is moving around the room trying to close your eyes. He's trying to keep you unaware of how beautiful your life would be when you remove the foreign objects and thus remove the shadows from your life. Every, every week I probably hear something. I'm used to it now. 36 years or so here. But it's still disappointing. It's disappointing when a, a good Christian, solid follower of Christ, you think, will come and say, you know what? I've really, I've really not been the guy that, that you thought I was. And now I say, please don't tell me your sin. Tell it to God. I can't handle everybody's sin. But Jesus can. Pastor Neil Shinneman, our founding pastor. I said, Pastor Shinneman, do you remember what happened the day you had your heart attack? He said, I absolutely remember. I was just interested in his heart attack. I wasn't ready for this story. He said, one of my ministry friends came in and said, I don't have anybody in the world I can talk to. And I just want to talk to you, Pastor Shinneman. Pastor Shinneman said, great, fire away, buddy. How can I help? He said, I've been raping my daughter. Pastor Shinneman prayed for him, walked him out that door to his car, walked in there and fell on the floor and blew out a third of his heart because we're just not used to people having shadows and we don't really want to get used to the shadows. We don't really want to live there. We don't want to live in the... I hope nobody sees behind that object. What's behind there? Oh, boy, that's really embarrassing. Uh, uh, we don't want to live in this hidden zone of, of, of putting things in, in, in compartments. And, and so like a, a, a great... A poem sort of called My Heart Cries Home. Jesus comes to your house and he walks into your living room and you're like, oh, kicking stuff under the couch because you don't want him to see that the living room isn't so clean. And, and, and you said, you keep Jesus out there and you go and you throw all your stuff in the closet and Jesus enjoys the kitchen. And when Jesus gets to the closet to open the door, you jump in front and you go, Jesus, don't look in the closet. This is where all my shadows are. This is where all the foreign objects are that cause this kind of darkness in my soul. Maybe I can say not a week goes by without somebody who really, really, they really, really love Jesus, but has an addiction to pornography. They really, really love Jesus, but they can't seem to break the drunkenness. They really, really love Jesus, but they can't stop swearing or taking the Lord's name in vain. And as I look at that, I wonder, what is the situation? And it comes back to the point, is there is an active enemy of your soul working to keep you in the dark. He's conniving. A third of the angels fell with him. So let's just make up a number. Let's just say a billion That means 333 million fallen angels would be at work right now trying to blind your eyes to the beautiful freedom that Jesus offers to you today when you come into the light. Amen. I'm fired up. This is a good message. I'm heavy now. I'm going to get lighter in just a minute. The freedom that comes when you walk into the light and the enemy is working to blind you to that. My friend Rick Inlow, one time as a youth pastor, he was uh, speaking here in a youth revival, and he said, you know, I'm a bachelor, and I, uh, I don't really clean my refrigerator out like I ought to. He said, and the other day I opened up my refrigerator, and there was some bologna in there, and, and it was green by now. It had all this mold growing on it, and and it was yucky, and, and the bread was all stale and hard, and, and so I got out my stale hard bread, and I got out my green bologna, and the man was black on the top and I put it on there and, and he said wouldn't I be a fool to eat that bologna sandwich when God in his great love is offered me a filet mignon dinner right off of the heaven's grill why is it why is it that we allow ourselves to be blinded to the beauty of Jesus it's said in that verse that we read in Corinthians it says that the God of this age is blinding us To the good news, the gospel of the glory of Christ. We're talking about the glorious Christ. We're talking about beauty personified. We're talking about aesthetic uh, uh, delight beyond human capacity to understand. And the enemy of our soul somehow comes and gets Jesus looking kind of bad. Somehow he loses his luster, he loses his appeal, and and he becomes the only time Jesus is on some people's lips is when they're swearing. And and you think, why, why is this? Because there's an active enemy of your soul. He knows your weaknesses. By the way, you need to know your weakness better than the enemy knows your weakness. Because when you know your weakness, you can bring it to God and strengthen it, and your weakness can become your strength. When you don't know your weakness, the enemy is going to hang you out to dry with your weakness. You see, God alone is shadow free. One commentator said it this way, there are no shadows in the sun S-U-N There are no shadows in the sun And I would suggest there are no shadows in the sun S-O-N And that the joy and the delight that we have that changes everything is when for the first time in your life or maybe again in your life, instead of seeing the bright light of God's uh, love, the bright light of God's holiness, the bright light of his character and his nature shining, and you run to hide behind the foreign objects of sin You step out from behind the foreign objects of sin and you say to the light, you know what? I'm going to go to the light and in going to the light, the foreign objects of sin are removed. John said it this way. Here's here's the deal. He said, this is the judgment. Here's Here's the facts of the case. Light has come into the world. We like to say, you know, uh, uh, Jesus was a good teacher. Uh, all the roads lead up the same mountain. He's one of many. John says, I'm just going to lay it right out at the beginning. Light has come into the world. You can close your eyes, stick your head in the sand. You can uh, you can uh, walk in disbelief. You can walk in anger. You can do anything you want. John says, here's the fact. Light has come into the world. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean the light isn't in the world, John's saying. The fact is light has come into the world. And this is in John chapter 3, by the way, verses 19 through 21. He goes, but the problem is the light came into the world, but people loved the darkness rather than the light. I don't know why people love darkness more than the light. makes no sense to me. Makes no sense to me for, uh, was it, uh, uh, Bill Cosby, now of disrepute. Bill Cosby, he was doing that comedy routine of being drunk and I've never been drunk. I don't know this story, but I, he's, he's leaning over the toilet and he's throwing up and everybody's laughing how funny it is. And I'm thinking, what's, what's cool about that? Why do we love that? Uh, When I was youth pastor, I'm not tuned in on the current language, right? When I was youth pastor, the the thing was, we're going to party till we puke. Why do you love that? We had a mass murderer in Anchorage. He lived right over there, the next block from this church. I wanted his daughter to meet Christ. I think he killed 21 women, at least, that they know of. And so his daughter came to our youth group. And I'm trying to lead her to Christ. With a dad that claims to be a Christian who's a mass murderer, you can see how she'd be conflicted. Paula and I took her to the cattle company. And I knew her story. I knew her drift. I knew what she was talking about. And she loved, it's called Hallowed Be Thy Name. And so uh, I bought the album, Motley Crue. It's called Hallowed Be Thy Name to Satan. And it shows people falling off a cliff into the flames of hell. So we're there at the cattle company and I say, you know what? You know, we just really love you. You got a bad background, it's tough, but you know, the way you're headed, I I don't think it's so good. And, And I know you like Motley Crue and I pulled out the album cover and I said, I said, look at all these people are falling into hell. I said, you, you, why, why? She goes, I can't wait. Hell is going to be the greatest party the world has ever seen. And I thought to myself, she's only 16 years old, but she's already learned to love the darkness more than the light. You get the point? Okay, I have way more I could do on loving the darkness, but we don't want to love the darkness. He said, in fact, if you do wicked things, you hate the light. Oh, no, no, no. I'm saved, sanctified, full of the Holy Ghost and in fornication. No, that would be called hating the light. That would not be called saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. That's called hating the light. Oh, yeah, you know, I I love the light, and I, I cuss like a sailor, and I use the Lord's name in inappropriate ways. No, that's called hating the light well, you know, I I love the light. It's just I'm cheating in this way and I'm unfaithful in that way and I'm in the other way. John says, no, the fact is light has come into the world and whenever you're wicked like that, you hate the light. And my invitation to you is what we see next when he says everyone who does wicked things does not come to the light. But he said there's another group of people and that is whoever does what is true comes to the light. And so, twenty minutes into my talk, I get to my title. My title is "Come to the Light." Amen, brothers and sisters. When that light of His glory is shining, and you feel the work of the enemy blinding you, and you you feel that you feel that uh awful feeling of I'm guilty or that awful feeling of I'm I'm not in the right standing before a holy God. Don't run and hide behind the foreign object. Get out from around it and run toward the light. Because when you run to the light, incredible things happen. In fact, this changes everything when you go to the light. Everything changes when you go to the light. Now the word for these foreign objects in English is the word sin. The English word for the darkness, we love rather than the light, is the word sin. I want you to think about this for just a moment because it's one of the most powerful understandings of sin I've ever come across for me. Every time I sin, I create something that never existed before. Every time I sin, I create something that never existed before. In your notes, I say, when I sin, I create a brand new reality. And the Bible's very clear on what I create when I sin. For example, let's say I, I, on my way home, I stop and rob the gas station and I pocket the change and I've sinned the sin of thievery. I've sinned the sin of uh, armed robbery. What have I created? I've created a stain on my soul that never existed before. And so the enemy comes along and he he tries to blind you and say, "You know what? Just 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 sin and enjoy it and party till you puke and 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 and, and, and doesn't want you to realize that every time you sin, you create a burden you have to carry." If I were to rob a gas station on my way home, I would have to carry around for the rest of my life the burden of knowing I did it. Every time I sin, I create a stain. I create a burden that I have to carry. I create a debt I have to pay. In the Old Testament, the Bible gives us, the Old Testament gives us many, many words for sin, They are metaphors, they're pictures of sin. And I've just covered the three most common pictures of sin. Sin is a stain, sin is a burden that must be borne, and sin is a debt. But brothers and sisters, as we think about that, six to one, six times for every other time, it's a burden you have to bear. It's the most common metaphor for sin in the Bible, And you today as I'm i praying, if you're here today under the burden of sin, I have been praying all evening actually, all night long I've been praying that when you came in, you'd be able to see your burden. Because if you don't see your burden, you won't know that the good news that changes everything is there is a man who carried your burden and his name is Jesus and you can give your burden to Christ and he'll carry it for you. When your soul is stained and, and you got this, your heart felt so pure until that date. Your heart felt so pure until that event. Your, your heart felt so pure until whatever. And then after that experience, you look at your own heart and your heart is like kind of pure. But there's these little stains of various colors. And over the years, your heart gets more and more stained until almost you can't even recognize its original color. The enemy says, you know what, Uh, I'm going to blind you to the fact that there's a man named Jesus who will take your colored heart, as it were, and wash it and bring it out pure as pure as any heart can be. Uh, Is it removed? It's removed by being, I've listed, it says sin creates a stain. And how is it removed? It's removed by being cleansed. And I'm I'm trusting today that if your heart is stained, you'll be able to experience that cleansing work of Jesus today. If your sin creates a weight for you, your burden is lifted. When I wrote that, I dial in on songs I learned in my childhood. Burdens are lifted at Calvary, Calvary, Calvary. Calvary Burdens are lifted At Calvary Jesus is very near I'm standing here And in my spirit eyes I could see some of you Coming to this place in God Where that sin burden is lifted I remember when my Burdens rolled away I had carried them for years, night and day. Why can the enemy make carrying burdens look good? Why can he make it look so attractive? When it comes to a debt, what happens to the debt of sin? We prayed it just a little while ago. And we asked God that you would deliver us our debts. Forgive us our debts. Set free from our debts. As we forgive those who have debts against us. Two things happen with debts. Number one, somebody pays it for you. Or number two, it's remitted. You remit a debt. And when you stand here today, you might think of an older song again. He paid a debt, he did not owe, I owe a debt. I could not pay, I needed someone who would... uh, Wash my sins away, but now I sing a brand new song. I got it now. Can you imagine? Can you imagine somebody stepping in and paying your debt? I want to tackle, just in one sentence, I want to tackle one of the biggest beliefs with which I am not a fan. And it's called the penalty and substitution. That Jesus took your penalty and you substituted your place to please God. It's called the Penal Substitutionary Atonement Theory. And that theory is that Jesus had an angry God because of your sin. And because God's wrath needed to be appeased, God was ticked and somebody had to pay. He picked his son. It's pretty cool. Anselm and Augustine wrote the theory, but that's, I don't believe that theory. I don't think God is ticked, and I don't think Jesus took the punishment from God. I think the debt was owed to Satan, that the prince and power of this heir was the one who held title deed to the earth. He held title deed to Kent Dale Redfern. He owned every part of me, being born under Adam's race. Uh, Adam signed a contract with the enemy at the Garden of Eden when he uh, ate of that tree, and he signed every human being over into subservient to the enemy. And God says, I want him back. And Satan says, if you want him back, it's gonna cost you the life of your son. And God looks through eternity to his son Jesus and he says, son, the price of Kent Dale Redfern's salvation, we need to pay the ransom. We need to pay the propitiation. And Jesus stepped up and said, I'll be the blood sacrifice and I'll pay the penalty that that evil one demands. And when he paid it, eternal life came to me and the spirit of God came to me. And now he has no legal right to to you or no legal right to me when we're in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm not, some, One lady, actually, a, a feminist, I agreed with her. She said, you know what? I don't want to serve a God that kills his own son. Right? I get that. God didn't kill his own son. His own son paid the price to the guy who took me captive. And when he paid the price, in my estimation, I've done a huge study of this, in my estimation, on the, uh, at the crucifixion, Christ went into hell, and he was in hell, and he was as dead as dead can be in his body, and he was as spiritually as live as he could be, and he was in the clutches of the enemy himself. He became the property of Satan himself. And on the third day, God said, it is enough. The price has been paid, and the life of Jesus came back into Jesus, and He took death, hell, and the grave captive. <laughs> Praise God. My stain, He's got it. My burden, He's got it. My debt, He's got it. So the enemy comes to me. He said, Kent, you're never going to mount to a hill of beans in God. I know your past. I know who you are, how you think, what's gone on in your life. And I want you to know I have title deed to you. You are the slave of sin. You are my slave. And I look at him and I say, you're wrong because I used to be your slave. But when I was 12 years old and turned around on my uh, knees in my bed and I gave my heart to Jesus, I moved out a contract with you and I moved into contract with Jesus I moved out of an allegiance to the dark kingdom and I moved into the kingdom of his marvelous light and you now therefore have no right to me you have no right to my mind no right to my body no right to my future no right to my destiny I was bought back from, bought with a price I, I wasn't bought from God I was bought back from Satan to his beautiful Jesus Christ. Praise God. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus carries my way to my sin. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. So that light's bright, and I see my sin, and I say, God, I'm going to hide behind my sin. I want to be in the shadow. He said, you can be in the shadow if you want, or you can just say, Jesus, I trust you, and that shadow, that, that object that causes the shadow will be moved over to the shoulders of Jesus on the cross, and he'll carry your burden for you. I, don't, I just want to say it like a, just forget I'm preaching, okay? As your buddy, aren't you tired of carrying the weight of that? Aren't you tired of that? Aren't you tired of not knowing who you wake up in bed next to? Aren't you tired of not knowing what you did the night before? Aren't you tired of living outside of your control? I'll never do that again. And then you do it before your next breath. Give that burden to Jesus. He'll carry it for you. Praise God. So I'm talking to my friend Dave Kuyper. He has a little different view on theology. So I wanted to bounce my my message off of him and get his take on it. I was talking about this whole thing about sin and its role in our lives. And he said, Kent, I've just been hanging out in the story of the loving father, otherwise known as the prodigal son. And he said, you know... It doesn't matter whether you're the older son in your home or you're the younger son and you're squandering your father's inheritance in a land far away. Either son has the same loving father. He said, Kent, when you preach on Sunday about sin, would you remind everybody the reason he took your stain, the reason he bore your weight, the reason he paid your debt is because of his incredible love toward us. So we're in John 3, 19 through 21. In John 3 and 16, it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I extend to you today the love of a father beyond any love you've ever known before. He's the perfect father. Tommy Barnett was closing a sermon. It was a big, big deal. Crowds everywhere. And, and he said, okay, if you want to receive Christ, come forward. And a, a girl came forward. A lot of people came forward. And, and he said, repeat after me, uh, dear Jesus, or dear heavenly father. That's what he said, dear heavenly father. And everybody said, dear heavenly father. But she didn't say anything. He said, I prayed again, dear heavenly father. She wouldn't pray anything. He said, I finished the prayer. And then I went over and I knelt down on the stage. And I said, sweetie, I want you to pray with me, dear heavenly father. He said, she looked up with her face black and blue from having been beat. And she said to her, I've had all the father I can take. And I stand here today boldly. And tell you about a father who doesn't love like the earthly fathers sometimes do. He never sneaks in your bedroom in the dark. He never hides in the closet. You never have to duck when his hand is moving toward you. I tell you about a father who every time he reaches out to you, it's a hand of exceptional love. It's a hand of phenomenal compassion. It's a hand that nurtures and builds and blesses and encourages. And so from the beginning, the enemy says, is God really like that, Eve? And right now, he says to some of you, is God really like that guy up there talking about? Yeah, he really is that kind of a God. In fact, what can separate you from the love of God? Can famine? Can peril? Can persecution? Can height or depth? No, in all of this, nothing can separate you from the love of God. So I wept my way through prayer last night because I could see some stains were going to be here and I could see some burdens would be here and some debts. And rather than shine the light and have us hurry home, I wanted to shine the light and watch the cleansing of Jesus come and the burden bearing Jesus come and the my debts are paid Jesus come. One day I had this little dream. I'm like, I don't ever feel pure. Do you ever feel like holy? You know, I don't ever feel holy. And uh, maybe I'm not. uh, But at the same time, I just never feel holy. And uh, I had this dream. And I'm standing in front of God. And God says, uh, Kent, why should I let you into heaven? I'm like, uh, well, and Jesus stepped out and put his arm around me. He said, Dad, he's with me. You get it? His perfect shoulders, the weight, the debt on his perfect shoulders. So now he's able to present me faultless. Me? faultless? Now unto him who's able to present me faultless. On that day when we stand before God he's going to say all the stain all the burden, all the debt is gone. Dad, here's my faultless little brother, Kent. Here's my faultless little sister. Alright, so here's what I'm going to do. If you have a stain a burden or a debt that you want Jesus to cleanse, lift, or pay. I want you to stand.